0: Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with Episode 16 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies Podcast. Today, you get to meet Mike Barbada. Mike is the president of Jet Delivery, Inc. Mike started out as a driver of the company and worked himself into a position to buy the entire company. Enjoy the story of how Mike went from garage of the delivery bay to Goliath, the owner of Jet Delivery. So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. So today, I'm pleased to introduce to you Mike Barbata the owner and president of Jet Delivery, Inc. Jet Delivery is a full-service courier started in Los Angeles and now offers pickup and delivery services in all 50 states. What I really want to discover is Mike's garage-to-Goliath story. Mike, as I understand it, you started out as a delivery driver for Jet Delivery in 1972 and then purchased 10% of the company in 1982, and then went on to purchase the entire company outright. Is that correct?
1: That is correct.
0: So help me fill in the blanks. This, I love this story. You know, how did, in vivid details of going through, you know, the garage bay of jet delivery to owning the company.
1: So the starting point is a little bit interesting in the sense that I was 20 years old, and I was attempting to go to school down in San Diego. And really, that attempt was more like, partying and meeting girls and just enjoying life. And it was one night I woke up in the gutter. And the only reason I woke up in the gutter is because somebody wanted that premium parking space that I happened to be laying in. And that day was my aha moment. I, I got back to my apartment and I kind of looked in the mirror and I saw that I had long hair down halfway to my back. And I thought to myself, Am I going to look like this when I'm 30, 40, or 50? And of course, at 20, that was—I mean, that was like a premium old man at that point. And I just decided, okay, this was time to make a change. So I decided I needed a job, and it just so happens that my brother knew a dispatcher who was working for Jet Delivery, and they needed delivery drivers. And I happened to own what back then was called a Datsun pickup truck. And so I applied for the job, they hired me, and I started as a driver and then sort of worked my way up through the organization.
0: What an unbelievable experience. And love that whole, that whole um, description of the story. So what did that experience teach you?
1: Well, I think that experience was probably my first grooming note of – you need to really have a plan and some sort of a goal in life to get to where you want to go.
0: Yeah, definitely. And 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 what piqued your interest in purchasing part of Jet Delivery? Like how did how did that come to be? So I mean, come on, cuz you start you're starting as a driver with this with this this car and next thing you know now we eventually fast forward to the ownership of the company, but when did that interest start? happening? Where where did the opportunity come about? How did you even get a chance to buy, you know, 10% of the company? Like, walk me through that initial process. Because there are, there are a lot of people out here who fantasize about stuff like that. Like, you know, how can we eventually one day be the owner of this organization? Walk us through that process.
1: So I as I started moving up to the organization, I liked it. And I liked what I did. It was one of those things we all talk about in Vistage. You finally find something that you have a little bit of a passion for. So, I started to learn the business, and the owner of the company, Jim Zahner, really took a liking to me. My father had died at an early age when I was seven, so he he actually wanted to adopt me as a son because his sons were not near as passionate about anything at that point. So he was really my guiding light and probably my mentor to start, and he groomed me along the way. And after I had been there for a while and was general manager and VP. I told him, I said, you know, I'm, I think I can start my own business, and I appreciate everything you've done here for me, and I will stay as long as you need me until you can get a replacement, but I think I'm going to go out and start my own business. And he said, well, can I think about it for a couple of days? And, he said, and I said, sure. And he came back, and he said, how about if I was to make you an offer, to purchase part of a a small amount of the company and purchase that going forward. And I said, let me think about that for a couple of days. So I came back to him and I said, I'm interested. He was getting up in age. And I said, how about if you sell me a percentage of the business, I will help build this business for you until your death, so it will feed you and your family, but you will give me first right of refusal to buy this business from you or your estate at your death. And he came back, and that was the starting process of me actually putting myself in position to buy a business that I had absolutely nothing to do with starting it up.
0: So talk to me about the funding, though, because, I mean, you know, you're you're a driver— Yep. And so you have this specific salary, which I'm sure wasn't probably enough to maybe purchase a company, or maybe it was. So again, walk me through that process. Did you come up with terms where you were able to, you know, he he would help fund it or or he would hold the paper? I mean, talk talk to us about that if you don't mind, because I just, I know, like I said, there's just a lot of my listeners who are, this is like a fantasy that, you know, can I do this? And is this possible? So how did that happen?
1: Well, so I wasn't a driver at that time because I'd been working with the company for a while, and I had moved my way up through the general manager position. I might have even been VP. I'm not sure. But so I, I had been working there, and I'd been making some money. So the way I first bought my first, I think it was 5 or 10%, I can't even remember the amount, was I, was I had foregone a couple of yearly bonuses to pay for the stock. When we got to the point where I could buy the business, I had owned a little bit of property in my home, and I think that's probably what really made me focus was as we moved forward and we got to his point of death, and I had the first opportunity to buy it, how do you come up with this money? Well, it was a small company at that point. It wasn't as big as it is today. So basically, I mortgaged everything I had, my home. My properties, I signed a personal note, a guarantee, and when you have a small payroll of about 30000 at that point on the line, it's amazing how early you get to work and get focused on <laughs> what needs to be done to make sure it does get done.
0: Yes, yeah love that part of the story, though. I mean, putting it all on the line, taking that risk. I mean, definitely you have an incentive to make sure this thing's going to go. And were you married at the time? Do you mind if I ask?
1: I was married at the time, yes.
0: So how did that conversation go?
1: Well, that that was a very tough conversation, as you can imagine, because things were, as an employee that was fairly successful in a small business, I was still making a fairly good salary. So my wife, Gail, thought, well, do we really want to do this? Suppose there's a hiccup, and I guess maybe maybe she wouldn't even say it, but maybe in the back of her mind there was really that doubt. Can you do this? I mean, can you really make this happen? So that conversation was a little bit tough, but as a, I guess I would say, a good or a trusting wife, she had a lot of confidence in me, and she said, let's do it. Let's make it work.
0: How exciting. How exciting. So let's describe to me then the company culture. Is the company culture different under your leadership, especially since owning the company outright?
1: Yes. The company culture has changed drastically. And, and really, I would give that credit to Vistage to start with, because Vistage really, the the access that we have to speakers such as yourself, and of course, all the great worldwide speakers that are available to Vistage. I mean, it just puts that flame in your belly that you know you can make things better. So the culture in the old days was basically, you know, drivers and people were a dime a dozen. It's after you probably become a little bit more successful that you realize people are the most important product you have in your business and probably in your life as well.
0: So since you started as a delivery driver, do you think that that experience gave you a more holistic perspective of what would eventually be your company? I mean, you probably view it so differently since you've done all of these positions moving up, so you know how much time things take or what what should really be happening. How has that impacted your view of the company?
1: Well, I don't know how it's impacted the view of the company, but it certainly has helped me establish and run the company better, And, and I think you're right. When you, as a position player on a baseball team, when you know all the positions and what needs to be done, you can't have anybody really give you a line or bullshit you through this. You know what needs to be done so you can actually look at it and understand it and probably make really impactful suggestions or helpful thoughts to move it forward.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Do you, do you require your top leadership to spend any time in the field or to to look out at that arena and kind of experience it?
1: We do now. We didn't in the old days. We now have a training program that we have kicked off oh, probably 10 years ago so that every new person that comes in Has to go out and ride with a driver for two days so they literally understand what this driver goes through and what his day consists of because otherwise people just take it for granted and they look at it like he's just a driver. He makes pickups and deliveries, but it's so much more than that. So there is a complete training process that we go through with skill sets for all departments and it starts with driving with a driver, even if you're a girl in the accounting department or you're a dispatcher or a customer service representative
0: coming on board. Yeah, no, I think that's great experience. So how do you, I mean, love that part of it. So continue on with that, like dig a little bit deeper, even like, how do you help a new employee understand the culture of the organization? So beyond having them drive, like what are the things that you do in those first, you know, few weeks or during the interview that you think separates you as far as creating an opportunity for them to taste the culture of what the company really is like?
1: Well, um, I think, as you probably know, and we learned this all through Vistage as well, and that is, you know, if you can hire slow and fire fast, you're going to be way ahead of the game. So over the years, we've put together scorecards, processes, and how we interview people really to find out, are they going to be a fit for us? But more important for them as well is, will we be a fit for them So the process has been handled by a gentleman here by the name of Tim Weber, and he's done this job now for about 10 years, and he continues to create and add to his profile on what we need to do in order to make sure this individual is going to be a fit for us. So he works with them daily, and they go through, in most cases, every department at jet delivery. They ride with the driver. If they're going to be a CSR, they work in the dispatch department. They work in the accounting department. They even work in the logistics department as well, which just is a different division of the transportation piece that we do until he finally gets to his own department. So we put a lot of time into this individual because really we want everybody to succeed.
0: Love all of that. And I, and I think that, by, by the way, you know, I met you through Vistage and you've brought that up a couple times. So for my listeners who have never heard of Vistage before, it's like a CEO support group. It's worldwide. They have a chair. They're a group of about 15 CEOs. They use each other like a board of directors. They talk about acquisition opportunities, employee problems, life problems, opportunities, everything. So it's just a great organization. But that helps you become a better leader. So first, what does leadership mean to you personally?
1: Well, leadership to me is talking the talk and walking the walk. And more importantly, I think leadership is setting the example with a good work ethic, the example of actually talking to the people that work with you. And I don't want to say under me because it's a team. And you know, you literally walk out to the warehouse and you talk to the people out there and you find out what challenges and what struggles what struggles do they face? How could we help you get better? What tools do you not have that you would like to have? And I think the leadership piece for me that probably has been most influential, at least from my part is I literally get to know the people that work here at Jet Delivery. I like to know what their wife's name is, how many kids do they have, what do they like to do. And it is amazing when you talk to people, and even if you can't get them to talk a little bit, all you have to do is ask them about their kids, and they light up like the moon, and they are anxious to tell you about their kids. And that is a great starting point for understanding people a little bit better.
0: And you know what I love is in, in our brief in our brief time together, uh, we, you know, I could see I could hear the passion in your voice and, and the way that you talk about your company and and, your, and the people that are around you. So, tell me a story in your life though when you weren't leading well. Like, how did you come to realize it? What were the symptoms of less than ideal leadership?
1: Well, I think that probably was in the beginning. And I was very young, but I was moving up through a small company, and it's a small company, at a very fast pace. And, you know, I realized that sometimes you start to take people for granted. And it's in the term I used earlier, you think people are like a dime or dozen. And really, they're not. And so in the beginning of my career, I think I really didn't care about people that much, it's just what do we need to do to get the job done, and if they couldn't do it, let's move them out and get somebody else in. And I think it hit me like a ton of bricks when I was getting ready to fire somebody. I was going to go up to him and I was going to say, listen, you've got to do this better. If you can't do this better, we're going to have to get somebody else to do it. And I thought to myself, well, how can you give him that kind of a response? How can you tell people you need to get better? You have to take a role in this. And that was probably the starting point when I said, okay, what can I do to help you get better and to succeed? And then if you can't and you don't want to succeed, at least I can sit back down and say, okay, I offered as much help as I could. Do you want a coach? Do you need some education? Where can I help you be successful?
0: And love that. So so you, you were able to course correct, and have you been able to keep yourself on track since then?
1: Yes, I think I've I think I've been able to do a really good job. At least if you ask me, I would tell you I've been able to do a really <laughs> course, good job. Of course, of okay? course, you know,
0: we see all the fault in everyone else, but we're doing just fantastic. That's right. No, but uh, no, but you know, at least you're trying and at least you're heading that direction and you realize that that was a that was a mistake from the beginning and that you need good people and you need to make sure they're engaged. So no, I give you credit for that. That's half the battle is admitting you have a problem and and then trying to change it. So, what have been some of the most difficult challenges for the company? I mean, you, you've talked about growth. you're now in all fifty states. You know, how did you lead through those tough times? like what what did you learn? Let's talk specifically for the company, not just you as a leader
1: I think the well, the hardest times with our company is i'm I would say the biggest hit in the head moment was we got hit with a lawsuit for wage an hour. And this was probably 10, 12, maybe 13 years ago. I'm not even sure how long ago it was. It was when lawsuits were really popular for wage an hour. Now, granted, we were wrong at some of this and we needed to get better at it. But what I was really most proud of was my three kids took an active role in how we could beat this lawsuit and We actually did beat the lawsuit. We had to make amends to the drivers that we did short pay, and we literally did short pay them when we looked at it, and I guess it was a case of being fat, dumb, and happy and not really knowing the law as well as we should have. Where that made us better and turned us into a better company is now we know what we need to do and what we have to do to be better and be good at this.
0: Yeah, no, and 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 again, I think you know if you understand if you go through those trials and and those are tough times. I mean, lawsuits, a lot of companies have to deal with that. I would I would argue that some people uh, see that as almost legalized extortion. Sometimes where you have companies that you know don't even ask if they've done anything wrong anymore; they ask how how can we make this disappear. And it's it's unfortunate that we get put in those positions because you definitely want to do what's right, but you also don't want to be taken advantage of. No one does as an individual or as a company. So what is your strategy to effectively create a vision for the people and and teams that you lead? Uh,
1: Well, our strategy, we've kind of simplified it. At least in my mind, we've simplified it a little bit. And what we've done for our strategy to help create vision for everybody is I feel we've really created a great corporate culture within the organization, We set KPIs for everybody, key performance indicators. And we've made a really good point of trying to get the right people in the right seats and finding the people that care, not just want a job. But then as we sat down and thought about that, we thought, well, really, what do we really need to do? And the first thing we thought of was we need to figure out what people want in their job. And after talking about it and going over it for a while, we realized most people want, we came up with five things. One was motivation. People want to be paid for what they do, the right amount. So we try to pay at least industry average or above industry average. People, incredibly, people want goals. People really want to have clear concise goals with good measurements that they can strive for probably the biggest one that we came to identify in this was recognition or call it identity and that is people want to be recognized for the work and contribution that they make to your company everybody wants to know that they are doing a good job and just patting them on the back makes a huge difference now the last two that we kind of put into that is if you can if you can put some purpose into that which is the job has purpose to it and we try to make that happen in every asset and then challenge everybody wants a challenge and if you can if you can get those five things going in the direction with an employee you will find out that they will be very engaged in what they do
0: so thank you for that and I want my listeners to go ahead and rewind and listen to that again and and see if that's what they're doing within their own uh, companies, within their own organizations, for their own teams because I do think that those are five legitimate and actually very exciting uh, goals to try to attain with, with the people around you. So what does – what and, and we didn't get into like really specifically how, what Jet – does, but what does the vision look like when you're competing with other household names like, you know, FedEx or, you know, these delivery companies out on a regular basis? Like, how do you compete? How do you insert that vision and create that kind of fighting spirit?
1: You know, we used to worry about everybody. Then we got to the point that we said, you know what? We don't need to worry about ourselves. We need to we we, we kind of worked this backwards from me. And when we were trying to decide what our core values are, I mean, we came up with a list of core values. And if I remember a couple of nights I was just not sleeping very well, and I thought, wait a minute, we can't go with a list of core values. What are my core values? What are important to me? And what was important to me was integrity, Relationships and solutions, and you apply that to your personal life and you apply that to your business life. So, the value add for us was on our integrity, you know, do we do we. Do we do what we say and do we mean what we say? For our relationships, and this is your relationships personally and in business, everybody needs good relationships. You should constantly be working on your own home relationship with your kids, your wife, your immediate family. And if you can do that on the business side, you can't help but be successful. And then solutions. I mean, Are we providing solutions to the customer? Because if we are providing solutions to the customer, why would they call anybody else but Jet? And I I remember a long time ago, somebody told me, if you don't have a solution to the problem, there's a good chance you're part of it.
0: And you know what? (laughs) I think that really
1: plays out well.
0: Definitely, definitely. Good advice. Uh, So, Mike, you know both of us believe and practice that business can create value for communities. Can you describe how jet delivery adds value to society and the community in which it operates? Like, what what is your company's big why beyond profit?
1: Well, you know, because jet's so old, there is, you know, what's interesting about jet is, and I was thinking about this because I thought, well, you know, because when you came in, you you kind of said, what is your big why? And I always, I got to thinking about that. What is our big why? And, you know, I think I really knew what it was, but... You know, our big why is kind of what you said a little bit earlier, and that is we have, you know, we think everybody knows what we do and how we do it, but why do we do it? And really why we do it is because we think that we're helping our communities, the people in our communities, and even our country. So in some retrospects, it's not just that we are delivering stuff. I mean, some of our Deliveries go as far as people that are donating organs, that people are on the hospital table waiting for these organs to arrive. We had a delivery one day where, this was about 20 years ago, a kid needed a blood derivative out of North Carolina, and the only blood derivative was here on the West Coast. We picked it up. We hired a private plane a jet, we flew into North Carolina, landed at a small airport, had a helicopter waiting as the manager got off the plane with the blood derivative. He got on the helicopter, they flew to the hospital, and we were able to get that medication there in time to save that boy's life. We got a huge card signed by the parents in the hospital that was delivered to us, and that that was very rewarding. That was an instance that we had that was pretty incredible. And we had one other that I really thought was good, and this was probably 15 years ago. NASA came to us and said, we have a bunch of scientists going up into the International Space Station, and when they come down, they're gonna have experiments, and we need to get these experiments to the airport, and they need to make specific flights going to different parts of the country where these scientists are from. And basically, what they said to us was, these scientists are never going into space again. So if there's a failure, the whole project is a failure. So we literally sent two trucks, one following the other, with the idea in mind, if one broke down or got stopped, the next guy would just pick up the experiment and follow along to the airport. And we had 100% success from that from NASA. So, you know, we do a lot of goofy things that it really are for the community. We pick up the Space Dragon when it get when it comes in from space and it gets picked up by the Coast Guard, we go to Long Beach or San Pedro and we pick it up and we take it over to SpaceX. Now I'm not sure what's in it, but they rely on us to do it. There's so many stories. I mean, my goodness, we carried the Beatles equipment when they came in and they had their two shows the only two shows I think they had here are in Dodger Stadium and, and the Hollywood Bowl, and we picked up all their equipment. We were the exclusive carrier for that.
0: So uh, No, this is all great. See, I'm telling you, we could be here all day. That's what I mean. But this, this is why I do the show because I, w- I want to hear that you're helping out communities. I want to hear that you feel like you're making an impact because there's so many different ways to make money in the world and and to you know to live your life so how do you find kind of what you're passionate about and be really good at it and add value to society and employ families along the way okay so kind of parlaying that what are the most important decisions that you make as a leader of your organization do you think it is related to strategy finance or people
1: well um, I think all businesses operate around three things and I think that is you have operations you Well, four things, really. You have operations, you have finance, you have a sales pipeline, and, of course, that all gets fed with people. So our biggest thing is how do we promote people? So we strive to get people involved in our culture and we look for the best people that come in and find out, is this somebody that we can move forward? How can we develop a pipeline for them to be successful? And even if they're not going to be successful with us, how can we make them successful so that when they move to their next adventure, they will have learned something here from Jet Delivery? And I tell every employee when, you, when they come in, you know, I'll – Don't ever be afraid to come in here and tell me you're leaving. It means I've done my job, okay? And the fact is, I hope that you will sit there and say, you know what? I've really learned a lot from this company and the people in its organization that I have a chance to move forward and better my life. And you know what? I am not sad about that. I am completely happy about
0: it. Yeah, Mike, and 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 I think that that's part of true leadership when you can finally release from all all the ego and everything else, and and not feel threatened by people, but also just proud of the fact that you played a role in their success. And they they will surpass you, and yeah. and, and not, not being threatened ever by that, but really taking uh, pride in every single part of the process that you've been part of with them. So. So you talked about, you know, finding those things within, you know, each individual. So describe to me, and I know this is kind of hard, but just if you had to pick one, what, what would be the one trait that you'd look for in top people and why?
1: You know, that is actually not that difficult of a question because it's not just one trait. I already know what I look for in people. I look for people that have a positive attitude, that have the willingness to help others, and that they're a problem solver. And you know what? If you can get those three things from people, you're going to find somebody that's going to be successful because they don't look at the glass half full. They look at it as are not half empty, but half full. And they're willing to tackle a problem where most people are willing to throw that, you know, pass the buck to somebody else. These people want to look at it. They want to peel it back like an onion and they want to figure out what it takes to make it work right. Those, If you can find those three things, I think you're going to get a successful employee.
0: I think as business owners, we always want somebody who's just going to own it, You know, take pride in it, own it, like you said, not pass the buck, but just you know, tackle the problem or look at and, and, and try to find the solution. So uh, appreciate that answer. A little more detail oriented. I'm going to dig a little bit deep here for a second just because I'm always curious about this one. What is the optimal number of direct reports, do you think, for a CEO or leader of an organization? like who reports to you?
1: I have two people reporting to me right now. One is my VP and the other one is my operations manager. And I probably could take one more, but really I give them a chance to have people report to them and then they report up to me. And to tell you the truth. That gives me the opportunity to take two days off per week and only work Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday because I have an excellent team that can manage this business when I'm not here.
0: And see, let's go go back to that for a second because now now you're going to have – you peak some people's interest, okay? So everyone's looking for freedom, and so clearly you found at least four days of freedom, which in a week, I'll take that. I think a lot of people would. So at what point did that start?
1: Well, I am 64 right now. I'm going to be 65 in January, and this was probably maybe seven or eight years ago. I started this process of, first of all, trying to enhance my one on ones with my direct reports, and then how do they enhance their one on ones with their direct reports so that everybody wasn't willy nilly. We tried to set up what are we looking for to establish in our people? And really, the goals of the direct reports is to make their people successful. We even interview all our own, all of our employees at the end of the year and ask them how their supervisor did. And if their supervisor wasn't there to help them make them successful, we have a fierce conversation with the manager, not with the employee, because we figure the manager is failing at this point. So the more you can empower the people, to make those decisions. I know we all think we're so darn important that we're the only one that can make this decision, but we actually find out people like that opportunity to make decisions. And you know what? If they make a mistake, they make a mistake. As long as they don't make it 10 times in a row, you know we're probably okay with that.
0: And not just to listen, but to make you know, to hear them and to make sure that they know that their voice matters in the company. So, Definitely think that's an advantage and, and uh, clearly part of your success. So most often, thoughts are a precursor of how you act and who we are as people. So what do you spend your time thinking about?
1: I actually probably there's, there's two critical things in my mind right now. The one is on one side, which is the business side, how do we get better? How do we make our people better? How do we make the company better? That is probably the biggest thing I think about for the most part. Then the other side of that, as I mentioned earlier, I have three boys in the business. How do we transfer wealth and how do we transfer business and how do we make sure that they still are friends and that they still are family at the end of this? Because there's one thing I've learned at my old age these days, and that is, money doesn't make the man, money unmasks the man. <laughs> so how do we make sure that process goes forward?
0: All right. So now you just opened up a whole different can of words here. So now I have to dig a little bit deeper into that. So I mean, so how's that going? I mean, what is, what are some of the challenges? I mean, there's a lot of family owned business owners listening right now that are having challenges and thinking about the same things you're, you're going through right now. So what's been happening so far? How's that going? Are you having success?
1: I think we are having success. So, and this has been an ongoing process that's now been going on for close to 2 years or 3 years and and the way I kind of designed this was well, of course, we went in and we set up our trust and we tried to put as much of the estate you know, much of the assets into the state as
0: we could. And but, by the way, you don't have to get too. I, I don't want you to get too personal here, but I, you know, I just it, just from a general perspective. And, and but I appreciate that too. I mean, you, you go as deep as you want to go. I just want to make sure you know that I I I want you to be comfortable with whatever answer you give.
1: I think where your listeners would be most interested, and this is what I would recommend to every one of them, is what I've done is I set up a quarterly family meeting where I bring in my advisor all three boys and my wife, and we talk about the trust and what's going to happen when dad is dead and somebody needs to run the company. They know what we talked about, what's in the trust. They're not getting the trust at the end of when dad kicks the bucket and all of a sudden they're looking at this and deciding, Oh, well, I don't like this. I don't like this. So they've all been involved in these conversations and they've been encouraged to voice their concerns about what is happening. So what I like to think is I'm setting up a roadmap for them so that when I'm gone, because right now it's easy for me to lay down the law and say, no, this is what we're talking about. But I'm hoping what they'll do is when that issue approaches or arises, they're going to say, listen, you guys, we talked about this in the quarterly meetings. We decided what we were going to do. You knew this is what dad wanted to do, and we all agreed to it. There shouldn't be any argument from there.
0: It's amazing what a little communication can do, and especially giving you know giving them the chance to voice, you know, have questions and, and, and come up with solutions. So there is no perfect path to any of that. And, and in the end, and yet, all you can do is try to do your best. And it sounds like you're doing a fantastic job from that perspective, even just, you know, listening. And uh, like I said, just allowing everybody to have that open line that matters. So all right, this, this I love this question, because I'm always curious to what what you would say, or what, you know, other individuals would say, what's one piece of advice you'd give your 20 year old self and why?
1: Um, I would say, and this isn't going to be anything new that somebody hasn't heard before, and that is find something you like to do that you have a passion for. With a little luck, you might make some money at it. The other advice would be, there's no express elevator to the top. You need to get a good work ethic, start from the bottom And move up. And if you do that, you'll be successful. And and it wasn't that long ago, my middle son had asked me, Dad, how do you know when you've made it? And I said, when you can't tell the difference between work and play, because you love them both so much.
0: Really appreciate that answer. That's great. No, that's, that's fantastic. And that's exactly what we're looking for. So, Certainly, I guarantee there's people out there that are saying right now, you know, that's great advice because when you are miserable in your job, when you don't want to go each day, when you don't like the people you're working around, it becomes a very long, miserable life, doesn't it?
1: It definitely does. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. All right, so let's get into the legacy piece. So this fits perfectly into kind of where I want to head. So you've shared a little bit about your family and personal life. Appreciate that. How do you maintain balance between work and your personal life and be present where you need to be?
1: Well, um I think I always say to everybody, everybody should get the opportunity to be me. Have a 3-day work week, <laughs> I love what you do, I have an incredible team of people, but most importantly, I have my boys involved in this and even though sometimes there are trials and tribulations with them, but I love having them down here. They're smarter than I am, and they will take this business far past what I've ever been able to do with it. And to have that is just an awesome thing because I talk to so many of my friends that their kids have gotten married, they moved to Nebraska, they don't get to see them, but once a year, maybe twice a year, and I get to see them every day. So my balance is, you know, I love coming to work. And when Wednesday gets here, which is the end of my work week, I can't wait to get home because, as you know, I'm going surfing. I'm going to play golf. (laughs) I mean, I've got a busy schedule that's very active. But when Sunday comes around, my joke to my wife is, is tomorrow a work day? And she always says, for you it is, but not for me.
0: That's great. And, and and not bad way to work hard and play hard and just, you know, be, enjoy each part of where you are in that process. So what's the best business or life advice that you'd give your kids or grandkids?
1: The best life advice would be work hard, set goals, create a plan, and move forward day by day.
0: Nice. Very straightforward. Very simple. What, uh, and, and and I think that, you know, you go back to that happiness perspective, and I always think about that. Like, what would make you more fulfilled today?
1: You know what, Dan? This is going to sound odd. Nothing. I couldn't <laughs> be happier. I mean, I don't need any more money. Uh, probably everybody, as you get older, you begin to think maybe you'd like more time, but... There is there isn't anything that I want for now. I don't need a bigger house, I don't need a private aircraft. I mean, I have my family which I love to death. I get to work with them. I get to see them all the time and I and I I listen, I have my health and Howard Hughes had billions and he couldn't buy one more second of time. So you know what? This is not a dress rehearsal. You get one shot at it. Live life to the fullest.
0: So do you know how big my smile is on my face <laughs> listening? Do you say that there's not one more thing that would make you more fulfilled today? I mean, that's that's the way we should all try to live, and it goes back to how you started. I mean, you started as a driver. You started recognizing that you were on a path you didn't want to take. You, you you worked really hard to get into a position where you you know were respected and you you had a work ethic within the company, and then you built this great family, and then the family's successful working with you. I mean, a lot of good things happening here, Mike. I mean, it's it's pretty exciting to listen to, and I think that. Uh, you're really creating a roadmap for a lot of people who are, you know, sitting there in their own jobs saying, hey, is this where I want to be? Sitting there in their own houses saying, you know, hey, is this the, the leader that I know I can be and can, or can I be better? And I think you're showing them that you can be. So what causes are you passionate about?
1: Well, um, I, I don't know that I would say passionate. Maybe that's not what you wanted to hear, but this is kind of what I have. What This is kind of what I tell Our people in our corporate cultures, which we have every quarterly, and that is at some point, I feel everybody needs to give back to the community in some form or another. Even, and I always raise my hand and say, I might be the crossing guard for five-year-old kids to make sure they get to kindergarten okay and their mother doesn't have to worry. That's giving back to the community. So, Whatever you can do to give back to the community. Here at JET, you know, we give 15 to 20 Thanksgiving dinners to churches in our area that we know that people can't afford to do the Thanksgiving meal. We have a function that's done yearly by our own employees, which is feed the homeless and we go to a, a homeless area in Pomona and they make spaghetti and and salad and bread and the homeless come by. It's a church that actually you know that actually promotes it, but we send our people there and they will actually feed the homeless and it's interesting when people come back and they realize you know what I don't really have it so bad okay <laughs> And we donate to the battered women's organization here. The, you know, we, we get the drivers and everybody to bring in toys on Christmas so that we can deliver them to a church where they will deliver them to the people in our community is who we try to take care of in where our main office is, which is in Laverne. So it's not that we have a passion for it. It's just that we know we need to do some things to give back to the community because we've been successful.
0: So this is what I love, Mike, and we talked before, you know, no talk of any of those things, and and I actually appreciate that, but that's what you're doing in society. And I think that there are so many great companies doing so many great things within communities, and it's not like you or anybody else is out there saying, look at me, look at me, that's what we're doing. We're just doing it. And I think we need to encourage that and highlight. That's why I think I appreciate you even bringing up those things because we can really make an impact in society. And We shouldn't have the government telling us what to do or how to treat our employees. We should be going above and beyond to make sure that we're looking for innovative, great ways to treat our employees really well and add value to their families and add value to the community that we live in each and every day. So love that part of it and appreciate you bringing that up. And and clearly, you are who you are because somebody had an impact on you. And so is there someone who has had a significant impact on you as a leader, maybe a a mentor? Describe that person. What what was the relationship there?
1: Well, I think it might have been the old owner here, which for some reason, he took a liking to me. And as I mentioned in the beginning, he actually came to me and he said, I would like to adopt you. And to tell you the truth, I think it might have been for selfish reasons on his side that w- his plan would have been: I might have an easier way to pass the estate on or the business on because he'll have my last name. And I mean, it was—it was really kind of weird to go back and think. I mean, really, I'm going to change my name? I mean, it was really—you know—was it, it was it was pretty nice that the guy would even mention this, but he was probably my mentor to begin with. My father died when I was seven years old and we were poor. We got some sort of a social security pittance that came in. It was like $220, which was supposed to take care of a family of four or five, including my mom, which we just waited for the mailman to show up so we could get the check and go to the store to buy groceries or whatever we needed. But so my real guidance probably came from Jim Zahner, the old owner of this company.
0: So real quick, just because I want to just dig a little bit deeper right there. So he liked you, but there were a lot of other people there too, I'm sure. So why you specifically, I mean, you had some certain traits or some certain things that you were doing that made him, that you stand out. And there are people in, in companies right now that want to stand out. They want to be a great leader. So what do you think it was that made him take such a liking to you?
1: I think it was maybe my work ethic. I mean, I was there early all the time. I was willing to do the job that needed to be done. And I think he knew I cared about the company. And that was his passion. I mean, he started this business from selling an old Maytag washer and they made deliveries back in 1950 on motorcycles, bikes, and you know, old, old Ford pickup trucks. So I, I think that he liked the idea that somebody here actually cared about what he cared about. You know, it's kind of like a coin collection or an art collection. Nobody really cares about that except for the owner, for the most part.
0: <laughs> no, definitely. And 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 when you have that passion, I mean, it just it's addicting to be around. And so I'm sure he probably saw himself in in, in you and his passion for the company and and that match with yours. So I give you credit for that because it it's hard to stand out in any point in your life. And you stood out and, and, and represented something that he believed into him. And that's why you had this opportunity. And that's why you're able to go from Garage Bay to owner of the business. So really in that same vein, and in my speeches, I asked the audience to answer the question, you know, from a legacy perspective, like, how do you want your children to describe you to their children? You know, what will your legacy be? So Mike, in your wildest fantasy, how would you want to be described?
1: I would say everybody knows my family is the most important thing to me right now, and it always has been. So I think when I'm dead and gone, I'm hoping that they will say he loved his family and he would do anything for them that he could. And he did his job as a dad and a provider, and he pushed us to be better on a regular basis. And I think that the family to me is the most important thing in my life, and it should be the most important thing in everybody's life, in my opinion.
0: Mike, you can't end better than that. I mean, what a, what a strong statement. And, and again, all we can do is try to be our best, but rising above, challenging yourself to be the best that you can be, I mean, that, that's what this is all about. And clearly, that, that's why you've had your success. So thank you for sharing your story, Mike. It is always inspiring and empowering to hear the stories of how others go from garage to Goliath. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Appreciate it, Dan.
0: I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the show. Don't just listen, subscribe. This will help others discover us. And please, as a personal favor to me, write a review. When you subscribe to the Garage to Goliath podcast and write a review, it boosts our ratings. Ratings in turn help others find the show. Please also share this podcast with friends and family so together we can take our next mirage to Goliath's step.